Hello and welcome back to Beyond All My Expectations. Today I'm here with Rachel Corson, who is the co-founder and managing director of Afrocentrics. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Nikki. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing okay. It's been a busy week. Yeah, yeah. it feels like a Wednesday, not a Friday to me today, and that's a bit concerning. I feel like <laughs> I, still have, I have more to do this week, so I'm like, I feel like I need two more weekdays. So in my head, I'm probably just turning Saturday and Sunday into <laughs> work days. Yeah, I was saying I love, you know, the framing you have behind you all the plants because I do not have a green thumb. Um, My house has turned into a jungle over lockdown. I now have a friend made me count about a year ago because he thought I'd gone overboard and I have about 60. The thing is with houseplants, once you like them, they start to have babies. So you end up with more. And then people notice that you have a lot of plants. So they'll buy you more plants. So I probably have over 100 now which um, oh, oh my God. is wow. beyond the realms of what I'll be able to look after. I had this weird thought we were discussing and potentially moving country because we're looking to build a factory in Ghana. Yeah. And I thought, oh, what's going to happen to my house plants? I started thinking about which ones can survive in the tropical climate that I can take oh. with me and who's going to look after the others, at which point I realised I have a problem. I mean, a great problem to have, but I that. that's the first thought. I can't even do I, one alive, so I'm impressed 100. That's amazing. Okay, I love that you brought up building a factory in Ghana, and that has just deeply excited me, and I can't wait for us to get into that. But before we do, can you just intro yourself for me? Tell us some more about Rachel and Afrocentrics. Sure. So I'm Rachel. I'm one of the founders of Afrocentrics, where we formulate, manufacture, and sell safe, effective products for Afro and curly hair. So we were the first brand for Afro Hair to launch in Whole Foods UK back in 2017. And then in 2019, we became the first brand for Afro Hair to launch in Holland and Barrett's. And we launched in their clean and conscious beauty concept store up in Birmingham in the Bullring. So Afrocentrics has come a long way. We've been you know, privileged to win a lot of awards along the way, uh, like the Precious Award, the Black British Business Awards, WeWork Creator Awards, KPMG, Black Entrepreneur, UCL, many different things. And we kind of started with winning an award. So Joyce and I met at university. I was studying law. She was studying sociology. And she used to relax my hair for me. One day she just said, I'm not doing this anymore. It's not normal for a scalp to look like this. And I had scabs and scars and burns and all sorts of mess going on. Yeah, I've got really bad eczema, so I relaxation has never been anywhere it. Yeah, exactly. And my mum had been relaxing my hair since I was about three, so it'd been like a long-term thing. I was very yeah. hooked on the creamy crack. And Joyce Lynn then started talking to me about her kind of natural health journey, her hair journey. We got talking about essential oils, about oil blends, and what you know what people have used for generations to look after their health. And very long story short, we ended up hitting the library. We used to joke that studying humanities just got you a very expensive library card. So we used it. We read cosmetic science journals. We ordered some beakers and pipettes and Petri dishes. And we sat there kind of dripping out different essential oils till we got our signature scent right. And, you know, with spreadsheets, testing out different blends. It was just a bit of an experiment to try and solve our own problems based on what we'd read. And I tried to get Joyce Lynn to start a business because, you know, she, she she suggested the oil thing and she said no, she didn't go to university to start a business. So I said I'd help her out. There have to be people like us who suffer from these problems who we can help. And I set up the world's most basic website with skills I learned from Neopets <laughs> and MySpace. Um, the good old MySpace times. Right, good times. And people were contacting us from other countries. They wanted to know about the products. They wanted to buy them. People were very excited. We traded a few market stalls and we just got to this place where we thought, okay, we've kind of got something here, but neither of us really want to run a business. So I wanted to be like a human rights lawyer or like an international journalist. Yeah. um, Something else. Joyce wanted to perhaps work in like broadcasting or HR. There were different things that she might have done. And what we did is we contacted this company we found that was probably the first like natural hair company in the UK called Hair We Grow Natural and we yeah. kind of tried to partner with them and we we're like maybe maybe you could do it and we could like, help you yeah. out um, but she wasn't interested in solving the problem on a big scale she, she was doing a great job serving her customers and you know this was back in 2009 we met in 2008 2009 the landscape wasn't what it is today there weren't yeah. loads of natural hair businesses and we just thought you know if we're trying to solve a problem let's do it with other people and when we realized okay in the UK no one's doing this on a big scale 
we're going to have to do it. We ended up we ended up entering a competition for ethical and sustainable business innovation at yeah. our university to get some cash to kind of pay for the, the bottles and the raw materials. And we won some money and they said they'd give us more money if we register the business and take it seriously and join this course they're doing. So we did. And uh, that's why we registered in 2010. And now, oh gosh, almost 11 years later, here we are. We've got a small little factory stroke office stroke lab in Wood Green in North London. We've got a team of 14 people. Wow. And yeah, we sold into 23 countries, over 60,000 bottles and we're growing fast, but it's a very exciting time. It feels like this is just the start, even though there's been this kind of long history. We only launched this current brand. So the bottles yeah. that look like this, the brown bottles in 2019. And we, all, we almost didn't. Before that, we had some very ghetto packaging that I'm glad we've moved away from that used to leak and it didn't look great. Um, you know, we, we had like a really rubbish website until about 2017 when we kind yeah. of migrated to a better Service. CMS mm. and yeah, so it feels like everything's very new. We've only had it. I've only been full-time on the business since 2019. We've only had okay. a team since 2019. So in some ways it feels like we're two years deep, but with a lot of kind of community and brand history. Back, yeah. Background. Okay. That's. I, I love that story because I think I resonate to the being at uni and deciding to stop relaxing my hair. But I think I was more going yeah. through a nervous breakdown than anything. Oh, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, I just, I, I slowly like cutting my hair, like shaved one side. Then I did, I had like a mohawk sit and then I just sort of shaved my hair from when I guess I'm getting natural. Yeah. So mine was more just of a like, mm, let's see what we can do with our hair. And um, <laughs> oh my God, I think, yeah, eight years later, like I just, I'm, you know, natural. But part of it was, you know, I looked at, relaxed and my hair just felt it didn't feel the same and I was like mm. I'm bored of this I, I can't really I can't wear my hair out because it just doesn't it doesn't give me you know what the just for me box tells me it's going to give me it was a lie <laughs> a big lie um never looked like that so I went through that journey but you know I I think I was lucky in the sense that I had the YouTube era of, you know, everyone mixing their avocados and eggs and, you know, and that was a beautiful <laughs> space of YouTube where it was just everyone figuring things out. But you guys took it and made it a business. Like you really were like, I'm moving past this. So for your partner, um, your business partner, had were they already natural before? You yeah, so Joyson had they, gone natural yeah. by, right. yeah, Joyson had gone natural by force, she says. So she was suffering oh. from traction alopecia from a lot of okay. hair loss and we'd both grown up kind of thinking it was normal to just have bold patches and breakage and hair loss because we'd both had relaxers from quite a young age she was about four when her mum started to relax her hair yeah so she got to 18 she noticed her mum was completely bald and was shaving her head and was wearing wigs and she was wearing wigs at the time she was wearing yeah. weave um and she thought I don't want to be completely bald when I reach my mum's age so she stopped relaxing her hair and that's when she started to research um, natural oils. At that point, so I think the natural hair movement in the UK really kicked off in around 2010, 2011. Yeah. We met in 2008 and Joyson went natural, I think, 2007. Okay. So when she met, I, I'd never heard of a teeny weeny afro or a big chop or any of these things. Most people had and usually would be the only people with natural hair in a room. And Joyson was, you know, still wearing like the straight weaves. And she was learning about stuff from America. Yeah. So I think the natural hair movement there was about 20 years ahead of us at least. YouTube was starting to become a bigger thing in the yeah. UK. And you're right, I think the rise of social media definitely allowed the natural hair movement to kind of grow and develop, which yeah. perhaps wouldn't have happened, you know? I can't imagine it would have been a thing in mainstream media without social media first proving that enough people care about this. Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. I will say, yeah, social media was a big thing because you sort of saw the way your hair could be. And I, I think for me, there was sort of like, I was like, I, I saw afros and I was like, it'd be nice to have that. But in my head, I just never connected, you know, the fact that I could just not relax my hair and that was how my hair was going to grow. And it's such a wild disconnect because again, you, you have your hair relaxed from like two, three. So you just think mm. this is what my hair is supposed to look like. And that would be a nice thing to have or it would be nice for my hair to have this health and this bounce and this curl but you don't really connect the dots that, you know, you just need to stop one thing and start another and a journey takes place. But so I just really want to talk about, I guess, your degree, your background in degree, because you started with a law degree and I see that you then did an MA in medical anthropology. Um, MSc. An MSc, sorry, I always say yeah. MSc, I added this. Um, an MSc in medical anthropology. 
Um, was this, I guess, after you'd gone into the business and thought, I need, I need to learn more? What was it like actually letting go of the law dreams to step into this other side of yourself? Yeah, so it's an interesting one because I'm definitely more of a scientist than a lawyer and I always have been. <laughs> so okay. I love science at school. In my, So I was kind of perpetually in trouble at school. But in my science class, I was not in trouble. And one of my science teachers who'd studied chemistry as his degree, he used to give me like university level chemistry work to do when I finished my work so that I wouldn't mess around and get in trouble because I had a reputation. I think I was actually a suck up and a really good kid, but I was one of the only black kids. So of course I was the naughty one. Yeah. Was that? And I, I had this uh, chemistry teacher when our teacher was away and we had Miss Lunan and Miss Lunan was black. And we didn't have many black teachers at all, but she was a black woman who was teaching science and she was teaching chemistry and things she said to me still ring in my ears. So I remember yeah. her saying that you buy organic fruit and veg. And if you don't, even if you do, always make sure you wash it off. Cause if you know what's in those pesticides, you shouldn't let those in your body. And she would say these things and she had natural hair, but at the time I didn't know that. I didn't really know the distinction, but her skin always looked great. Her hair always looked great. And I I didn't at the time I wouldn't have said oh she's like a role model for me but I remember her standing out and seeming strange and everyone liked her would be excited for her classes she was super strict but she knew her stuff she was this really smart black woman in science and I think she stuck with me in a way and it showed me that scientists aren't always white men because that's typically what you see see at Um, school exactly so I did a level I took chemistry biology maths but I also did psychology English literature Italian and critical thinking for some reason because I was a weirdo and I just couldn't decide right so I wouldn't say I really had a law dream because I wrote like at first I wanted to do medicine and I did medical work experience you know I had the A levels for medicine and then we had like kind of two deaths in the family and I thought, I don't deal well with death. Yeah, okay. I just, I don't, like, I'm okay with, like, I don't get grossed out by, like, blood and grime and all that stuff. Because, you know, I had eczema. My skin would be pretty gross a lot of yeah. the time. But I didn't want to deal with the death part. I thought medicine's not going to be like scrubs. <laughs> so <laughs> I literally, right. I went on Ask Jeeves. This is, this is showing my age because Google wasn't even a thing back then. This was, like, 2007, just before we had to send off our UCAS applications. And I just went on Ask Jeeves and I said, what do you study if you don't know what you want to do with your life? Because I've literally oh. written a personal statement for philosophy, for biology, for chemistry, for biochemistry. I started off with things that were like science adjacent. And then Ask Jeeves said 50% of law graduates go on to do other things, including international human rights journalism. And I was like, I want to be a writer. But <laughs> so it just, it seemed like a good idea, right? Yeah. To do more. I thought, I'll figure it out. And I thought, I know a lot about science. I was that nerdy kid that would go to the library and I'd just like take out science books and sit reading about like the theory of relativity or about like molecular bonds. I just, I love understanding how the world works. Yeah. And then I realized I may understand a lot about how the natural world works, but I don't know anything about how like the actual world works. Like <laughs> I don't know anything about law, about politics. So that was part of why I took law, because I thought okay. it'd be good to know how like human systems organize themselves. And then I hated it. I really, I absolutely hated my first year. I was used to having a lot of work to do. And I don't, I didn't have the best work ethic, like through my GCSEs and A-levels. I hated yeah. school. I used to like bunk a lot and I would still do like pretty well. Yeah. And then I got into law school and there were various reasons I hated it. The main reason was that I couldn't not do any work and get away with it <laughs> which was good for me because so like that reading, work ethic yeah, now, yeah. yeah and I look back at my work ethic back then and it was it was a mess I actually became a Christian at university and after I became a Christian I developed a work ethic and through my MSc later I worked really hard and I'm super yeah. proud of that with my law degree I was just I actually I became a Christian towards the end of my law degree but before that I was just reckless and wild and sometimes hard working sometimes not I kind of had a bit of a like my attitude could be really bad and I just felt like rules shouldn't apply to me and I think I'd been treated so unfairly through like high school and a levels constantly like, being like you know yeah the only given detention yeah I was just like that energy into uni I got that I brought that energy of well if I'm going to be mistreated anyway then I'm going to do my own thing and even on my law degree <laughs> I spoke to quite a few people who presumed I got in through some kind of affirmative action or something and I'm there like, look, I needed 360 UCAS points to get here. I got 720. So don't turn around and decide that I'm just here because I'm yeah. black. And there weren't that many black people. 
So that kind of ruined education for me for a little bit. And I let so much external stuff get to me. But by my third year, I really loved law. And at that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to go into law through like the academic group, or maybe I'll be a solicitor. And I was like on all these different paths. Afrocentrics had started. So we started it in our first year. And then Joycelyn had taken a year abroad in Canada and I was kind of like running it by myself. So my brother helped me out a bit. Someone else from the university helped me out. But it was it was like a side hustle. It was this kind of little project. We yeah, thought it was a big problem. The vision of it, yeah. But we saw the vision of solving the problem. We just didn't want to be the ones to do it. I was on this like fast track course into like a solicitor role at a big circle firm. I thought I'll do that for a while, earn some money, you know, support my family, and then I will go off and retrain and I'll do like international human rights law because that's that's what I want to do or maybe like I'll write some books so I had all these other dreams and ambitions so I guess the law dream kind of started and then I suppose what really changed is Afrocentric started getting all these customers and getting all these queries and I was having people from all around the world like email us with their hair problems and I loved like researching we got some really sinister things like someone in America who works in a doing post-mortems in morgue said she discovered that there would be scars and lesions on the skulls and brains of black women and she asked the white doctor she was working with what's going on here and he's like oh it's all those like crazy chemicals you guys put on your heads wow and that to me was like that was a moment of change I was like no what I was like how is this even legal like I knew relaxers aren't the best for the health of your hair, but I didn't realise that they were causing scarring on the brain. Right, but it makes yeah. sense, right? It's wow. super alkali. This is caustic soda. Sodium hydroxide is a dangerous, toxic chemical, right? Yeah. The education isn't out there. So people think, you know, they're stepping away from relaxers to, like, embrace their self or, or you know, improve their hair because it's yeah. breaking. People don't realise how... It's saving your life, yeah. It's saving your life. So, And it's not that the relaxer is necessarily linked to the cause of death. It was more that if there's scarring on your brain and skull, it's that's very you know, It's definitely reduced your lifespan in some way or affected exactly. your memory in some way. So, yeah. Exactly. So when, when I heard that, I thought, wow, need to learn more about this. And the person who'd been like helping out while Joyson was away had told me about trichology, which is like super specialised dermatology, the science of the scalp and hair. So I went to the Institute of Trichologists, I took a course there, and I was kind of, you know, doing a lot of the formulation. We got a little bit of angel investment. One of the angels introduced us to a cosmetic chemist who'd worked for like number seven and Boots, a black guy who really wanted to help us out. And we ended up giving him, you know, a small percentage of shares in the company, kind of in lieu of payment for this support. And then me and Joyson basically became cosmetic chemists. So we were formulating, we were coming up with these ideas and actually manufacturing the product. So I had that background going on, but we were doing it at this point. We graduated. I was working first. I had a job at Cadbury's head office, then at Tesco head office. I hated the corporate world. Then I went into education. So I was working like as an in-house science covered teacher in a school in East London. I worked with kids with autism. I worked with kids with like emotional behavioral difficulties. And I really loved that. I found that super, super rewarding. And then it kind of came to this head of, okay, Afrocentrics is growing we can't do it we had full-time jobs and we dropped down to part-time jobs and we realized we need to decide either we shut down this company or we do it properly but we need money to do it properly because we weren't paying ourselves yet and I had this passion for science uh, particularly chemistry this passion for education I loved working with kids and I thought well our mission here really is to make sure that every black and mixed heritage person in the world can access safe effective products and you know trustworthy education so it just makes sense to bring this stuff together and but I wanted to learn a little bit more about that because if at our core everything we're doing is about health and well-being I just wanted to learn more about that so I was at my job as the science cover teacher I saw this scholarship scheme at UCL who's the only university that offer an MSc in medical anthropology at other universities it's an MA and I was like great I'll get more like kind of scientific training Um, into research methods and medical anthropology wasn't something I'd ever heard of before ever describing it it's a (laughs) cross-cultural study of health and illness so you look at what constitutes illness how it should be treated by who and I thought that's super interesting given that I've studied trichology and trichology works almost as like this triage so a lot of black women will go to trichologists and what's really happening is a problem in their endocrine system so it may be they have 
say hypothyroidism or anemia yeah. or something else but hair loss is like that first sign and it's so interesting because everyone in my trichology course by trade except for one person was either a doctor or a hairdresser okay and here we all were except me and this other person on the course on a level playing field all learning because in medicine you get you know two weeks of dermatology training if that and maybe a day on hair and maybe an hour on black hair if any time at all yeah um, you're dealing with patients who have like folliculitis, who have all sorts of endocrine issues that are shown through the hair, who have, you know, seborrheic dermatitis, seborrheic eczema, you know, alopecia areata. There, there are all these conditions that people go to a doctor for and the doctor the hasn't doctor had that so training. Gap, yeah, in their knowledge. Exactly. exactly. So we, so when I ended up doing that MSc, which I absolutely loved, I just thought, okay, I was going to go on to do a PhD I, I started to veer down this other path because I found neuroscience really interesting and I did yeah. my my thesis on like neurodegenerative diseases and I got to um, spend a term at Cambridge doing that there and then I had an offer for a PhD and I was super super excited about that but <laughs> me and Jocelyn had some very difficult conversations because we were at this crossroads she was kind of yeah. like if you're going down that path I can't I can't do this, do this alone yeah it's not necessarily do it alone because I thought I could do both things like you know I've studied and since we've run this business we've always at least Been studied doing something else. And, yeah, yeah like I've I've had a job since I was 12 at university I had like three jobs so it wasn't to me I thought we can juggle it but really what we needed to do was focus on bringing in investment and building a team and that's that's where we are now yeah. So very, very long answer to your question, because I haven't slept a lot. And when I don't sleep, I become long-winded. So. <laughs> no, I love that because uh, there's so much journey. And, you know, I think, you know, the start of your answer it explores, you know, the limits of how we understand the way the science world works for us. Because, you know, mm. your, if your thought was solely medicine and that's not the only way science should work and that shouldn't be our only understanding. Right. But there's so much limited knowledge in the way school presents certain subjects to us and how, you know, we can work on certain subjects. And I mean, I don't know that you would have, you know, even thought I want to do, you know, medical anthropology from school because you weren't thinking about hair in the same way. But there might have been other variants and other straight other, you know, parts you've taken that would still have led you back to conversation about hair and yeah I think school does that disservice and I think I was lucky enough to just be like study what you like and then figure it out also I was very oh, much like, I love that do you want an English degree everyone's like do you want to teach I was like I don't know do you want to do law I was like, I don't know but this is open in general and let's just study what we like and figure things out because again your journey from like law I mean you always had the interest in science but you know studying law and merging into now you're a business owner and entrepreneur and you also have this scientific background that's, you know, the basis of it's not where you probably thought, you know, 12 years ago you were going to be. And that's the nature of life. Things shift and move as we learn more about ourselves and what's important to us. I really want to like move this conversation into the business side, you know, because Afrocentrics, as you've talked about, you know, the part time work of creating Afrocentrics and coming to a crossroads of, OK, we need to be serious about bringing money in. Because I think one thing that's really scary for me is talking about money and you know having to go and ask for money and think about investments and pitch decks and all of these lang all of this language you suddenly have to learn around business and money so when you guys sat down to have this conversation about money and investment what was the reality of your knowledge base then and how were you able to grow this knowledge base to actually get on the other side of the investment table or get to yeah the investment table so we knew nothing <laughs> we knew that angel investors existed we knew there were bank loans yeah. We knew because one had contacted us that bigger institutions exist, but that's when you're dealing with millions and we're not there yet. And we knew that sometimes people offer to buy your business because we'd had an offer, we'd had two offers to buy our business by that point, but like low amount. Um, like someone had offered to buy the business for about sixty thousand pounds, and like a year, a year or two later, we were making that in you know a, a month or less. So <laughs> it was. It, it was it was interesting I think that there's definitely as you mentioned you know this knowledge gap to education there's a bigger knowledge gap when it comes to okay. the investment world and it's so strange because you've got like the traditional investment world which is like Dragon's Den but in real life and would raise some angel investment kind of that way and then you've got the venture capital investor world which is like Dragon's Den on steroids and it's a completely different game entirely we didn't know about any of this it was really funny about a year ago I did a talk at Startup Grind on yeah. investment. 
and I remember someone asked a question about how do you know how do you learn this stuff and I was like two years ago I was sitting in the audience here taking notes and before I did this talk I looked over my notes and I'd literally written a definition of an angel investor and a VC because I didn't know I didn't know anything it, yeah I, so from two in two years I went from being sitting in the audience writing down basic things and I wrote them down several times because if something's new to you it sounds new to you like the first five or six times like yeah. when you start a new job if you ever look through your notes sometimes you find you're writing down the same systems the same processes over, again, over again. again yes but it seems like a new thing each time and like the detail increases maybe mm. or drops <laughs> but what I thought was hopefully helpful to others was that I had started with basic notes in the audience and managed to go to the stage telling others because we have the internet we've got google now we don't have to rely on ask jeeves you can like research this stuff you can read books or i rent like um venture deals or is it venture flows i always get the name wrong i read about what other startups have done i read up on medium i went to fireside chats i went to networking events i joined webinars anything that was free or like relatively cheap you know you can get books from the library or you can buy them secondhand on ebay because i didn't have any money that's what I was doing and yeah it's a bit of a grind to learn but once you do I think that knowledge is so powerful and it can open a lot of doors so we just looked at okay let's make a budget let's make a bit of a plan let's dream big and let's figure out how much money we need to get us there and before that like we'd won lots of competitions some of them came with a little bit of money so we'd won about five grand from UCL we'd won a few thousand from the University of Birmingham and that that stuff all helps and then we'd raise ten thousand pounds from angel investors that paid for my trichology course and some equipment and some raw materials so we'd raised a bit of money you know grant funding is great if you can get it it's grant funding because it's non-equity dilutive but yeah to to kind of get into the bigger leagues where we were raising uh, we raised half a million in our pre-seed round we had a lot of learning to do and even now we're raising a seed round we've closed uh, the first tranche so we've closed another just about half a million we've still got about a million to go for our plans and learning about like we're in conversations there and like we we may close that you know within the next couple of weeks because we've got enough interest but it's been difficult and I don't know if you've seen the statistics but in the last decade so over 10 years eight women have raised eight black women have raised venture capital in the UK yeah, not eight women a year eight, yeah, eight women in, yeah, in the last decade 10 years. Yeah. so that's less than one every single year which is why yeah. so we want it to be that okay we open this store and we leave it wide open so it, that that is no longer the case there's more equality we are kind of trying to build in public as much as we can so like I write yeah. medium articles about the process so that people can read about it and not have to go through the same hassle we've gone through so we've tested some stuff out that really hasn't worked and I did a talk, I was on a panel for The Stack World recently, Shamadine yeah. Reed's new, new platform, where we talked about biggest mistakes made when pitching. Because I really don't want other women, young black people, to make those same mistakes that you can avoid. You can learn from the mistakes of others. Yeah, I will say this. So I'm a an avid reader of Rachel's Medium posts about scaling business oh. and marketing. <laughs> and it's, because it's it's the language you use is you know it breaks it down to the I can actually read this and think and actually engage with this and don't have to I mean there's some things I have to google but I'm not spending every two you know two words on google like don't know what that means don't know what that means so if you do have the chance you know and you're in the marketing space the business space like Rachel's medium posts are very very accessible and just help you do a lot of learning and help you start thinking differently about what you're doing because Thanks, when you. I look at you're welcome when I look at you know Afrocentric because I have been aware of the company for I want to say seven years so I, I've seen the you know change in packaging and the website so I sort of seen that journey it's nice to see those movements and as you said you know there have been mistakes along the way and you know from a consumer side I, I obviously don't notice as much but to see the migration into where you are is great because I remember when you tweeted about finally getting the machine to pour to actually pour into the bottles and I just thought oh my god like this is how have they been doing this this whole time my hands much pain and suffering I I just remember that tweet and just thinking oh my god we really don't think about you know the how much capital you need to really create these things but people are doing things by hand which I again it's so shocked that this was happening because I just like oh packaging's nice it's all great and you were labeling with that it was yeah it was also no it was the label machine I think that's it was both yeah yes because I remember thinking if I was having to do this by hand everyone would be getting like labels like crossways like you'd just be getting (laughs) 
because I have no sense of my um, sense of perception or is it depth perception I know what it is is very off so yeah again I've sort of been following the story and it's been just wonderful to see like these layers but then reading your post on Medium you know it brings the story full circle and it just really shows uh, you know what the reality but also what's possible you know the realities of running a business but what's possible in running a business which I, I guess brings me back to where you guys were when you started Afrocentrics which is we know this is a problem. We know that there's solutions for it. We don't want to be the ones to solve it at this scale. What conversation did you both have that said, okay, we are going to actually solve this and we're going to dedicate our careers to solving this? You know, I know you took the courses and and you were still, but sitting down to actually create, to sustain a business is a different conversation from doing the courses because, you know, the course is a good time to learn, but executing that learning in business is a whole different ballgame. So what was the conversation yeah. yourself and Joyce and had that said, okay, we're going to actually solve this problem as a business and commit to, commit to this? So it was relatively gradual. So we were always committed to our community and we're yeah. always committed to our customers. But we hoped that as we make these changes, big brands would like copy us. <laughs> and that yeah. happened to some extent. And we were weirdly excited about it. Now we're not excited. Now we're like, you lots of cheapies, stop it. But, like we'll see brand, bigger brands or like cosmetics chemistry like houses that yeah. like formulation houses they'll order stuff and we'll clock because it'll be like oh the name on this is purchasing card um, and we do like handwritten notes to every customer so if we're seeing purchasing card that doesn't make sense then you google the company to check it's not fraud or something and it's either a competitor or it's like this lab that's trying to like recreate yeah. our formulations and people have told us stuff like that which is why I said it as a compliment anyway so that's what we hoped for at first but then we realized that wait what we've done is difficult but it's not it's not that hard like if you if you care you will do these things so a lot yeah. of blood sweat and tears has gone into afrocentrics the reason we are you know excelling when it comes to afro and curly hair is because we listen to our customers we listen to the community we do the research and i wouldn't do that if it was something that i wasn't bothered about so yeah. it suggests to me that maybe some of the people running these things don't care about the customers and community that much perhaps if their families were using the products they wouldn't create lines where most of them contain toxic chemicals linked to yeah. cancer and fibroids and respiratory issues so from my perspective it was about helping people with their health and well-being and that's something Joyce mm. has always been really passionate about so we kind of gradually I guess it wasn't that we didn't want to do it. It was partly that we thought this is going to be really hard and we want yeah. to like enjoy our lives. <laughs> so this is always like, don't delay enjoyment. The other reason was we just didn't feel prepared for it. We didn't think that we had the expertise because we didn't. Yeah. We didn't think we had, you know, the skills to solve all these huge lofty problems because we didn't. Yeah. But when we saw no one's really doing it, we thought, well, somebody has to. So we're going to teach ourselves. We're going to become the people we need to be to make this change happen and I'd say we're still in that process and it's fun and it's wild and I'm tired yes I think that's a very big truth the things you know we're scared of what we don't know and you know when something seems you're like I don't have the expertise for this which is again I think it's a, a function of the education system because we spend you know the first 18 odd years of our lives basically learning things we don't know but then yeah. there's this whole new world where like, oh, I don't know that. I'm not going to touch that. But how is it that we leave school systems and just think, actually, I don't know things, so I'm not going to go there. It's it's a, it's a something I think that needs to be solved for that. I'm not saying I'm going to solve for it because I don't know <laughs> what the answer to that please, is. Please but... solve for it, Nikki. <laughs> for the <laughs> sake know. of the next generation. It needs to be done. Yeah, how do we get people to understand that learning is a lifelong thing not to be afraid of, essentially? It's like, don't be afraid of what you don't know because you've always not known something and one day you've known it you know but yeah that's I don't sorry my train of thought just literally went out the window because I'm not thinking about this I guess my final question for you in this section is just about you existing in the space of black uh, as a black scientist because mm -hmm. you know you're a woman and you're operating a business that's you know about health and hair but you know it's foundational the foundations of this is science so mm -hmm. what has it been like for you to talk about and go to spaces you know for investment or just talk about the business and explore your position as a scientist and a woman what has been the reception have you seen that change across your the 10 11 years of Afrocentrics? yeah so the perceptions definitely changed me and Joyce Lynn I think a strength of ours is we don't care that much about perception uh, it can also be a weakness because when yeah. it comes to like PR comms messaging you kind of you do need to care about perception it's important 
And there's, uh, so my, so Leah on our team, who's our social media and content manager, she, she kind of jokes, she's our publicist. She's fantastic with this stuff. And she'll be like, wait, think about this, 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 oh, you should do this, which is super helpful. When we started, people didn't take us seriously at all. We would have meetings, people would kind of laugh. But then we clocked, there was this one meeting where someone had a call in the meeting and they said, oh, I'm just talking to the girls from Afrocentrics. This was like a year after we started and me and Jason kind of looked at each other and smiled and we're like, you know, when you have that silent exchange. And we came out and we're like, oh my gosh, did you hear that? The girls from Afrocentrics, like they, and even though they were like, we were just the girls, they were dismissing us. They were respecting Afrocentrics. They saw that Afrocentrics is a thing. And they presumed we were the girls sent by Afrocentrics, a meeting with a relatively major distributor. And when we had, you know, we'd talk to scientists like cosmetic chemists, we'd go along to the cosmetic science exhibitions, like the biggest ones in Europe would come to the UK every few years. And there were certain areas you could only go into if you were like a formulator and they'd ask oh, you questions oh. at, the, at the door to get in. And we'd answer the questions fine and we'd get in and we'd be like, oh, cool, this is like the equipment we use, but slightly better. <laughs> so, you know, that we'd, we'd taught ourselves enough and then we'd like taken courses. Joyce took like a soap making course. Of course, I studied trichology. But then, as I said, I already had a bit of a chemistry background, yeah. chemistry at A level. We'd, we'd taught ourselves enough that we were confident in what we knew because we didn't need external approval. We just needed for our formulations to work, for our products to work. We needed to be able to read journals and back up the claims we were making. We're like obsessed with everything being like authentic, like reliable, verifiable. So we were confident in that. And we find that now just because we know how to use the right language and it clearly works well enough that we've managed to sell, you know, 60,000 bottles so far without much marketing budget at all. That has meant that people take us seriously and they, they see us as experts in the field which I find weird like people say that like oh yeah that talk was great you guys clearly experts in the field we'll get asked to do talks at these institutions as well they'll contact us and we've been doing like internships as well with cosmetic science students and when they come and intern with us they're like oh my gosh I've learned more with you in six weeks than I learned in the first two years of my degree (laughs) because we, we we give them you know they have to hit the ground running and they learn quite a lot on the job so I guess I mean some people just look at us and they're like oh two two little black girls from London what do they know and we we get a lot of people who are massively dismissive of us we've been like locked out of pitches we just see it as it's your loss it's such a shame that you know here's this opportunity for you especially with investors like we don't see it as we're like begging for money we're presenting you an opportunity this is going to make a lot of money we're going to do it in an ethical and sustainable way but this is huge there's you know, over 3.2 billion people globally with upper and curly hair. Yeah. And four in 10 people in the world are our potential market now. And there's a demographic shift. So that's only going to increase. Africa has, you know, sub-Saharan Africa has the most emergent middle-class people of anywhere in the world. Like yeah. the world is changing. Okay. And if you don't want this opportunity, I feel bad for you that your biases blind you so much to good opportunities that could be beneficial to you. And I think what a sad way to live your life. Like, me and Joycelyn don't talk about stuff that we don't really know. We do a lot of research before we open our mouths. So if we're standing there talking about something and you're like super dismissive or you decide we're idiots, we know we're not idiots. So yeah. like, I feel bad for you because what else are you perceiving in some weird, weird way? So yeah, so I mean, obviously you have to deal with misogyny, racism, all these stuff, but we're learning to have good boundaries and like not to take the second call with someone who's clearly a sexist widow yeah. <laughs> or like not to hang out with racists. <laughs> we're learning all these things but yeah the perception has changed I think part of that there is we know a lot more than we did before and at one point like Joyce would say she didn't have a scientific background I was like a science nerd but I didn't have much formal training beyond A-levels even though my really annoying like you know when you said MA and I was like MSc it was important to important, get a master's I know, important science, clarification right? yes yes yeah, I think that's, again, an important point. I think that's come up. I was saying to a few founders, you know, across the time I'm recording this, and it's so interesting. Everyone says they're going to invest in spaces and people are like, I just don't see this. You know, I don't see the value of this idea. I didn't. And you're sort of like, look at the world, you know, look outside your bubble and look at the amount of people that reflect me who's telling you about this idea. That's the marketplace for this. Like, yeah. this, the market doesn't have to be you for it to be viable. Exactly. It's about, I'm I, always I, told we don't have a market and we're like yeah. okay cool. <laughs> we'll I mean, like, so 
so this hair on my head who's what's what's washing it you know what's caring for it, it it's a very interesting and it's 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 annoying yeah that's the word I mean it's annoying that this is still a refrain that people are hearing it's like mm-hmm. if you just look out into the wild you know just take a spin round, you will see that markets exist for this but you know again they're lost because we see you know Afrocentrics is growing and it's been fantastic fantastic to see that growth to see the investments coming in and to see I recently used some of the products before I got my hair done I'm a dry scalped gal <laughs> but yeah so to see you know the development of the product line has been fantastic and to see also the thought process behind you know each individual product it's not just you know a shampoo or conditioner and a cream which is what most you know product lines look like it's you know the soothe the calm the again the naming like see it guys I'm a fan and to see yeah, this thought process behind you know black hair care but not just our hair but our health you know you've talked about you know I get that story about the more like that's really going to scar me for a long time the thought of like lesions on your scalp and brain we should talk about that more I thought you guys should do a what what we've heard from mortician story on <laughs> Afrocentric so people really understand the long-term effects of these things um so we're just going to round yeah. up the overall conversation there and go into a section I call I call what's hot in industry um it's where I ask our guests you know something that's related to the industry and they just answer back and I had a question prepared but at the start of this conversation you mentioned that you're thinking about moving to Ghana because you're thinking of setting up a factory there now we're seeing a trend of you know, this return or the, the year of return, or the, the movement of return to, I guess, the African space of Saharan Africa for businesses to grow and develop, you know, because one, raw materials are there um, and it's also bringing employment and, you know, building economies there. So why you're thinking Ghana and what your hopes would be, be if you decide to take Afrocentric's production line to Ghana? Sure. So my family are mainly from Ghana, Ghana and the Netherlands. My brothers were born in Ghana. My parents went to boarding school in Ghana my cousins lived there my grandparents lived there I grew up kind of between London and Accra it's always there for oh, long stretches yeah. and I've worked worked in Ghana I've worked in a school in Ghana I've worked in a law firm in Ghana so one of the investors who are coming on board with our seed round they actually are a family office based in Ghana and they usually oh, invest nice. in early stage businesses not seed stage however they made most of their money building factories across Africa <laughs> And when we told them that's part of our plan, they're really excited by it. So we've already established those partnerships. What I'm really excited about is like infrastructure and trade. It burns me when I think of how Africa has been underdeveloped, how, you know, roads go from resources to the port rather than, you know, connecting different, different villages and cities. That really bothers me. It bothers me that Ghana is one of the top exporters of raw shea butter, of raw cocoa butter. But not of the products made from it. Yeah. That's where you know the money happens. Even gold, you know, we export a lot of gold. But how many jewels are there yeah. in Ghana? You know, the finished products. So I want to see Ghana on the map as a place that finished products are exported from. The yeah. way that Italy is recognised for for shoes and clothing, leather goods. Can you imagine they just were exporting cowhides, and it was Nigeria that was known as the fashion, and they would yeah. take that Italian leather and and, you know doing it and I think that starting with Ghana so we want to build the factory in Ghana it's you know politically stable it's a region that I know really well have good connections there Nigeria will be a huge market for us yeah but it's very much a case of Ghana is the gateway into sub-Saharan West Africa yeah Uh, we want we have customers and we have inquiries from Kenya the Ivory Coast Nigeria Ghana South Africa all over And we want to make sure that we can meet all that demand in a way that's ethical, in a way that creates jobs, in a way that is, you know, as carbon neutral as possible. We really want to be a B Corp. So we want to take Afrocentrics into the direction where we're, you know, actually helping to meet the UN Sustainable Development Goals, where we're a force for good. A big part of health and well-being is economic empowerment. Yeah. And a big reason that a lot of African nations miss out on the world stage when they gained independence, there were some deliberate attacks on the economy. So Ghana has only been independent since what, 58, uh, 1958. And before that, we were known as the Gold Coast because it's where Britain to extract their gold. And when we gained independence, um, like you can, it sounds like conspiracy theories, but you can read this stuff like on Hansard and like government files that have now been released as they have to be. But there was a lot of concern that it would destabilize the empire, that other colonies would want their freedom. Yeah. Uh, and therefore, 
the British government supported the military coup that took Nkrumah out of power. And then they were concerned about rulings. The British government artificially crashed the price of cocoa yeah. so, that would, so that Ghana would have to rely on trade because we, we had major economic issues. And then we had to rely on, you know, the IMF, the World Bank, you know, the kind of legacy of the Bretton Woods institutions meant that you had lots of, you know, ex-colonies relying on aid from their previous colonial yeah. So I feel like in a way we're still seeing, we're, we're not truly in a post-colonial world and we won't be until Africa has its own industry. Yeah. I think um, China and India you're seeing these nations do a good job in freeing themselves from these institutions. You know, some of it is very tyrannical. <laughs> There's a lot, of, a, yeah. a lot of things maybe I don't agree with so much and some things I'm just unclear on what's actually happening. But what, what I do know is that this whole year of return thing uh, is welcomed, you know. In, I, I was in Ghana during the year of return. I just went to see my family though. I wasn't there for Afro-Nation. I was quite upset. Yeah. I didn't get tickets. <laughs> And then my friend gave me her, her armband, but my kids wouldn't sleep, so I didn't get to oh, go. Oh, no. Um, I know. So I mean, God bless the kids, but I know. <laughs> God bless the kids who kept mummy from the rave on the beach where I grew up. That Labadi beach rave, I was like, that's my beach. Anyway, I'm really excited about Africa, but when you talk about these things, you get laughed out of rooms. So I've just like, yeah. that is one room for me. I know what I'm doing here. Joyson knows what, uh, what she's doing. We're building something big. And Africa is a huge part of that. I mean, we're seeing exits like flutterways and infrastructure is changing, is coming. So I'm really, really excited about Africa. Amazing. I'm glad. So I asked you that question because I I feel like the way you expand on things is amazing because you've talked about, you know, the history of... Because colonialism is such an important thing. And something that's Mm -hmm. really I'm really passionate about is the problem with logistics and transport, like the way we can transport goods across you know even countries because again you talked about roads leading straight to the port and it's not we're not mm-hmm. crossing like different cities yeah so and when I, you get I, something like an ebola outbreak that's a total nightmare it's, because it's, it's hard to even get to the hospital get, roads don't lead people now. to hospitals yeah. they lead to ports so because you know i work in publishing and one of the big issues we have is getting books you know it's like well the well i work in a publishing in, um, company that is founded in abuja nigeria but trying to get mm-hmm. our books you know into African countries is harder than getting it you know to the UK so that's a big issue of logistics and you know and cost and how you know our um yeah systems are designed basically to get things um actually to people rather than out of the country and it's such a it's such a big issue and it's something that and I'm saying it's going to it's hot in industry because it's something that needs to be thought about and solved very deliberately and obviously this is you know a governmental issue there's businesses need to come together there's so many layers but it's something I think when people talk about developing Africa, we need to think about not just creating things to be sent out, but for use and for the benefit of the people economically, yeah. but also personally, because it's, you know, if you can enjoy better hair care, that's likely going to give you a longer, like a longer um, life expectancy from what we can see, exactly. you know, with these reports. So, and job security. Yeah, right? there's job security. And, and also, I, you know, if a factory is designed for Afrocentrics in Ghana, who knows what someone else might think to build off of that? What's the bit, what's the other business you're not even thinking about that someone but actually, I see this as, a, you know, something that is an offshore of this. And so, yeah, thank you so much for answering that question and doing it in the way that you have. I think you speak so expansively about things and I've really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you. Um, you my final... Thank you. I do try. <laughs> so my final question to wrap up is, or you know, around expectations. You know, because this is beyond all my expectations. I, I guess I'm going to ask you one of these very like cliche questions. But when you look at you know Afrocentrics and what you've done in the last two years to build the team, what are your hopes and what are the expectations you have? You know, in the next, and I'm going to say the next six months for the company for the company because I'm not asking people two year plans because coronavirus has been shocking. So when you look at the <laughs> what are your hopes for it's hard to answer but (laughs) i'm gonna try so we hope to expand our team to close our investment round so we're raising 2.3 million in total with that money in the 18 to 24 months following that we should have turnover of over 4 million and be ready for our series a which is global expansion but in the next six months we want to begin our expansion into ghana yeah also expand into the us and we want to gain a 12.5 percent market share in the UK 
in the next that's like the next 18 months so in the next six months we want to reach about five percent market penetration in the uk we're currently at one percent so there's a big growth what but then today? from 2019 to 2020 we had 5x growth so you know doing that again we know how to do that we know how to scale i definitely think you know i hear the phrase beyond all my expectation and it makes me think um of a scripture so in the bible in ephesians where it says god is able to do immeasurably more than yeah, you can ask or imagine yes yes and what's been really fun about afrocentrics is you know joseph and i both have a strong faith so we will we'll pray together and it's really cool to see things change and to see how much things have been more than we could ask or imagine you know beyond our expectation yeah so <laughs> my plans for the next six months are in like on a smaller scale are to close our round, complete our hires, train them up, and to formally establish our board. So we've just appointed a chair unofficially and some with operation and logistics experience, but to kind of have that all formalized and to launch in 300 stores across the country because we're almost there with our negotiations with some major retailers. So, so those are the things we're working on in the small scale, but I'm so excited to see how, you know, how God's gonna answer our prayers, how we're going to be able to open up access to more people so that anyone with Afro and curly hair can access safe, effective products and scientifically trustworthy education without having to work really hard to do that. Because, you know, we've all got stuff to do. We're busy. Yeah. And a final thing, a bit of a secret I'm letting you guys in on. I have spent the last year working on a chatbot. <laughs> yeah. um, so we'll be sharing the chatbot for the first time at our annual tea and chat which is yeah. like a group we have with our customers where we discuss the plans for Afrocentrics. So after they see that and they give us feedback and we make our edits, we'll actually be launching the beta version. So I'm super, super excited about that. That is a big step towards making quality, verifiable, you know, scientifically based information yeah. easy to access for everyone. So if your hair is falling out and you don't know whether you should be concerned, You'll be able to speak to Mish, it's our chatbot. Rams oh, Mish, I love and, that. Name. <laughs> yeah. Like a um, yeah. Or if you've got a big date coming up and you need some style inspiration, or you know you're about to graduate and you don't know how to fit your hair under your cap, you'll be able to speak to Mish and have these problems solved really quickly. So I'm really excited about that, and you're the first person who we've told externally. I'm excited that's yeah that's, I'm so excited about that because yeah that's important I, I mean I didn't I decided to I couldn't fit my hair in a cap on my MA graduation and decided not to wear it <laughs> but no. um, there are different ways to go now this was a few years ago my options were just afro puff and go um, yeah. but you know an afro puff never fails love it um, mm -hmm. thank you so much Rachel it's been a pleasure talking to you and speaking to you about mm -hmm. Afrocentrics and your journey you know into the business space into owning your science um, nerd self and also you know <laughs> sustainably changing the health and the hair of you know people with curly and black women all over just to round up the show please let us know where you'd like to be found online on socials and how people can find the business also sure so on socials we're everywhere <laughs> but our main places we hang out are instagram youtube and twitter and you can find us just at afrocentrics a-f-r-o-c-e-n-c-h-i-x uh, you can also find us on afrocentrics.com and we're you know we're on facebook we're on all of all of the places one clubhouse if you want to find me best place is twitter I'm at Ray Corson, R-A-E-C-O-R-C-O-R-S-O-N. I forgot how to spell my own surname. This is what happens when you get married and you change the surname, <laughs> right? So yeah, those are the main places. Instagram and YouTube and our website for Afrocentrics. And then Twitter for me. Yeah, definitely. And don't forget to check out Rachel's Medium articles. Again, I say they are a life source for anyone who's in marketing or business space. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond All My Expectations and hopefully see you next episode. Bye.